What's up, guys? Thanks for tuning in to Rethinking Christianity. On today's episode, I interview Mark Scandrep, an author, teacher, and coach. Mark is the founding director of Reimagine, a center for integral Christian practice. Mark has authored several books, including Free, Belonging and Becoming, The Ninefold Path Notebook, and Practicing the Way of Jesus. Today's conversation was super insightful and helpful to me, and I think it can be for you also. We discuss his growing up, spiritual formation, practicing the way of Jesus, and even the future of the church post-COVID. So again, thanks for listening, and here's the interview with Mark Scandrett. All right, thank you for tuning in to Rethinking Christianity. Today we are speaking to the author, teacher, and activist, Mark Scandrett. Mark is the director of Reimagine, a center for integral Christian practice, and also a part of Nine Beats Collective, a project that explores Beatitudes in a 21st century vocabulary for living the way of Jesus. Mark currently lives in San Francisco with his family, and we're super excited that he is on today. And I think some of the things he's going to talk about and answer uh, for us is going to be super helpful in our rethinking of our faith and rethinking of Christianity. So Mark, thank you so much for for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, great to be with you, Blake. So before we dive in, so how is how is San Francisco? How has it been uh, this year and just kind of? Yeah, during COVID, um, I, you know, I'd say at least half the businesses have shut down when you walk through neighborhoods. A lot of things are boarded up. Uh, a lot of tech people have moved away, you know, tired of paying really expensive rent when they can't go out to restaurants and museums and things like that. And um, we have a lot of people in struggle. Um, homicide rates are up. I think, you know, a lot of people struggling with mental health issues uh, on the street and lots of homelessness right now. Yeah. How do you think that will impact kind of what y'all are doing? Well, I I mean, we, we've always been committed to trying to be good neighbors to the people who live around us. And um, so it doesn't feel that it doesn't feel that different to what we were already committed to do. Um, uh, But I think people are feeling more desperate, you know, and especially a lot of the folks of color that, that we're friends with, um, with kind of George Floyd, uh, uh, that killing this year and the protests are, you know, coming into this holiday season, feeling pretty shattered and battered. Yeah. And so we're trying to support them the best way we can. With all that going on, I mean, it, it does seem that what we're going to talk about, there is this need for people being able to see what yeah. it's like to live the way of Jesus in the midst of crisis circumstances that don't make yeah. sense. Just to give you a, yeah, just to give you a snapshot. Um, one day morning this week, I went on a uh, early morning walk and outside the subway station, there were two police officers standing over a, a body of a dead person with a blanket covered over it. So someone had, had died right on the street there, about three blocks from us. And then the same day, some of our neighbors got raided by the police, kind of like you see on TV or the movies. I watched it happen. And um, they banged down the door and tore apart their apartment looking for something. And um, so I talked to my neighbor later who is now at risk for losing his apartment and um, felt like they'd been profiled and, um, uh, you know, um, uh, like, like, yeah, we definitely people are feeling, feeling a lot of tension and struggle right now. And I'm really, really sad for what, what this, these folks just a few doors down are going through. 
That's that's tough. And yeah, we see that, I see that some here in Georgia. It's probably it's probably not as prevalent uh, as it is in some of the bigger cities um, like San Francisco. But there's definitely I see people that are fearful for this year and just kind of just different stuff going on. And so um, I think that, like I said, I think the direction of like understanding what it means to like be a, be a true follower of the way of Jesus is so, Mm -hmm. so vital. And so I'd like to just kind of, you know, kind of get a snapshot of maybe like, um, your background growing up, um, and kind of Mm -hmm. the atmosphere of like what it was like in your family, what that, uh, what that spiritual formation and foundation, uh, was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm a military brat. I was born on a U.S. military base in Heidelberg, Germany. Um, as I, was gr- I mostly grew up in Minneapolis, but my dad would get uh, transfers. And so I ended up in high school uh, graduating from Hale County in Moundville, Alabama, and uh, went to the University of Alabama at Tuscaloosa. Roll Tide. Yeah, and, um, but, but as I was coming up, um, my parents were from the pietistic tradition. So this would be like free Methodist, Nazarene, uh, Wesleyan, and uh, holiness tradition. And so I, I grew up in, in kind of in that stream, uh, received Christ when I was three years old, mostly because as I understood it, the point of Christianity is how to get out of going to hell. And so... <laughs> The, the picture I got when I was three years old is God wants to send three-year-old boys to hell, but Jesus came and offered his life so that, uh, so if I just say the right words and invite Jesus into my heart, I, I don't have to go to the bad place. And so I, that, kind, that message actually kind of terrified me and I thought I'd done my business with God, but, um, then when I was about 12 years old, I was just kind of, you know, you hit a, you hit like formal operations in psychological terms then. So I think my mind was just awakening to bigger questions. Why are we here? What's the meaning of life? And I picked up the New Testament and uh, read, read some of the gospels. And I just thought, man, Jesus had wise and good things to say about how to live life. And, um, I, did, I, I wasn't much of a church kid. I often was daydreaming during the services. But one day at the service, I, um, I thought, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to live. And um, maybe I should consult with the one who made me and what scripture has to say about what the goal of life is and, and how, to, how, to, how to live as a human being. And so I immediately fell in love with the, the red letters of the, new, of the Gospels. And um, my family was uh, kind of a, you know, a, a really beautiful, um, conservative, almost fundamentalist family. Uh, we were, we always felt like we were a bit different than everybody else around us. We were a little more devout. Um, and one of the things I'm really grateful for is that for my parents, which I understand isn't everyone's experience, is that, my, yes, we did go to church two, three times a week. But my parents were really committed to walking out their lives as, lives as disciples. And so uh, we spent some time around the dinner table every night reading scripture or biographies of um, Christian heroes that my parents admired. Um, and uh, what I, um, I, I was an artistic and intellectual kid. 
and I, I went to a very progressive school system in Minneapolis, and I had lots of reasons not to affirm the faith that my parents uh, gave me. And if it was just based on my experience of church, I think I would have walked away from Christianity. It didn't feel very life-giving. It felt kind of toxic to me. Um, a, lot of lot, a lot of judgment and nastiness. Um, but what I saw in my parents' life was that they really were experiencing some transforma transformation that was changing their life. And um, my, my dad in particular really invited us as a family to say, how do we live this out? Uh, we'd read like the story of the Good Samaritan over the dinner table and he'd say, now who are our neighbors? And what, let's imagine, you know, what would it be like for us to love them in the way that Jesus, the, the meaning of the story was? And of course, as, you know, rascally kids, uh, he'd ask, who are your neighbors? And we were like, I don't know, you know, people. And he's like, no, they have names. There's, there's Sally and George that live next door. And there's Hippie Joe who lives in the rental house on the other side and Walter's family. Uh, out the back alley, what are we going to do to love these these people that God's put us among? And then he'd come up with a project. Oh, we could make them cookies or um, invite them to a holiday party or whatever. And so um, I that kind of got my was sort of the DNA for me that faith is about everyday life and um, not just about religious services or even devotional life, but about how we live. 24 7 so i'm really grateful for that so it seems that like they've kind of you know that growing up even though there was this this fundamental side there's also this this practical way of living that i think that what i find interesting in that is it seems um that for a lot of people that grow up in the more just belief system or, or we believe in christianity and we we accept the tagline of christianity but there's not this practicality i think a lot of times when they come to a crossroads in their faith where it's like, I can either walk away or I can continue to follow. They don't see a good reason to. Uh, and it right. seems that, you know, in your family background that, that that was still though, it was still instilled in you that there's a good reason to follow Jesus. Um, and so I guess I would ask, did you ever have a point where you kind of came at that at a crossroads place where it was like, okay, I can, I can walk away from this or I can continue on in, in the faith of. Yeah. I, I had a gradual deconstruction that probably started when I was about 15 years old. Um, reading the reading the New Testament and then comparing it to uh, our Christian culture and my church experience, and I I'm grateful that I grew up in a family where I could express some of these things. And I would say to my dad, "I don't get it. I I'm reading about this homeless, radical prophet." from the first century. And um, we we meet together on Sundays and back then people dressed up for church. And, you know, I'm wearing a three-piece suit in an expensive building. I have, I'm really, I say, dad, I'm really struggling to reconcile these two pictures here. And my dad kind of encouraged it. He said, keep going with that, you know, um, try and figure out how to, how to follow Jesus in a, in a more authentic way. Um, but I also think that it was related to the lens through which I had learned to see the Bible. And so, you know, you, you, um, like, I think I hadn't been aware up until then that I, my whole reading of scripture was shaped 
by what is sometimes by my soteriology, my theory of the of how you get saved. And so, um, it uh, when I look back now, I think what was frustrating was um, the the there was it was more it was a formula or an equation based faith. If I just believe certain things in my head, I'm saved, you know, believe certain things about who, who Jesus is and what he accomplished. I'm saved and I get to go to heaven someday. But it didn't really, and that's the whole point. That's what I was told. That's the whole point. But when I would read the gospels, I would see that's not what the, that wasn't the gospel that Jesus proclaimed. You know, Mark 1.15 is to me the, the, um, the clearest, uh, most concise picture of the message that Jesus Jesus shared. And he said, time's up. God's kingdom is here. Change your life and believe this message. And so he was talking about uh, um, uh, the reality of God's life with us in the here and now. And that we don't have to wait until we die to experience the eternal life of our creator that there's a lot of good stuff for us in the here and now and that we can learn in a way Jesus um, is like our, our model and teacher for how to be a human being. And in the faith tradition I grew up in, a lot of that was glass, glossed over. And, and actually I, in the churches I grew up in, we didn't pay attention to the Sermon on the Mount, which is the most concise, which is the clearest uh, kind of collection of the kind of things that Jesus taught about how to live in the kingdom of God. And so um, that, I guess that, that contrast really made me struggle and that continued during uh, college and up through my, um, up through my mid to late twenties. I, maybe like you, I started working on church staffs and with uh, Christian nonprofits when I was quite young. And um, I felt like, this, what Dallas Willard called the reductionistic gospel, meaning how to get to heaven by believing certain things. I would share that with kids and families in crisis, with my friends at my high school. And I was really, I was really committed evangelist. I carried this, I don't know if people have these anymore. We, it was called the four spiritual laws and I would stick it in, um, in the lockers of my classmates and hand them out and did all my speeches and in middle school and high school, sharing the gospel. And it wasn't met with, it was met with blank looks. What, what does this have to, what does this message have to say about life right now? How, why is this good news? And if I was really honest, it wasn't just their questions, but it was my question. What, you know, what is the deeper purpose that we're here for? And, you know, um, you know, what does it mean to have an authentic journey with with the creator of the universe. Yeah, see, when I look at, for instance, you know, Jesus, when he prays, the Lord's praise, like on earth as it is in heaven. Mm -hmm. And even his words are reflecting this idea of like, it is more than just this uh, eternal life insurance kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I definitely relate to that. And I think that some of our listeners will also that um, growing up in this faith of like believing, 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 but where does it you know, where does it impact our personal life and our living out this following? Uh, and so it seems that you definitely, you had different seasons of life where you've kind of like understood your faith 
kind of what it means to follow follow Jesus. When did when did you realize? I guess you. So you said early on uh, that you decided to do vocational ministry. When did you realize, or I guess what age roughly did you think, oh, this is something that I want to do? Uh, and it's kind of interesting to see the shift within the midst of, I guess, a philosophical kind of shift in the midst of that. Yeah, I uh, I met my wife when I was 15 years old. And so we, she was one of my kind of primary conversation partners about what do we want to do with our lives? And I remember being uh, sitting out by the uh, in my backyard in Alabama with her and saying, you know, I think I'm called, I think I'm called a ministry, but I don't know if it's to being like a conventional pastor or whatever. I just want to live this Jesus way. And so I don't think we thought, I think we wrestled with maybe in a, even this a vocational sense is what, what is it? it's more important to us to learn to be followers of Jesus than to have a job at, at a church or a role as a, a pastor or whatever. And at that time, when I would read the gospels, I go, Jesus had a um, special interest in people who were in poverty and struggle. And if I want to be a, one of his followers, then I've got to find a way to open my life to people who are also in poverty and struggle. Mm-hmm. And so I started doing um, uh, probably about around the age of, say, you know, in my teenage years, I started doing little experiments where I'd read something from the red letters of the Gospels and then try it on. Or I'd try and imagine what would it look like for me to live this out? So I read the story of the Good Samaritan and I think, well, next time I see somebody broken down on the highway, I'm going to be the guy who stops to help, right? Or... There's that, that kid at school who no one else talks to, who doesn't smell so good. If I'm going to follow Jesus, I got to be his, his partner at lunch, right? And every time I took a step like that, it sort of confirmed to me, this is a good way. And I feel alive while that's happening. And s- suddenly I went from, I think when, you know, when I started out, um, I defined my faith around going to church services or youth group meetings and having my quiet time. But now it was in all of life. And the most, the, the most juicy parts were actually practicing the Jesus way. And so that got me really excited and got me taking more and more steps. And um, I would just, as I read the gospels, pay attention to, what are the kind of things that Jesus did? So I, it says in Mark, early in the morning when it was still dark, Jesus got up and went to a lonely place and prayed. So I was like, how would I practice silence and solitude? And so I started getting up and we lived out on a Kings Hollow Road in Moundville and there's a lots of trails and swamps around. And on Sunday mornings, I would get up and uh, go for an hour, hour and a half walk, just l- learning to be still before God. That changed my life, learning to practice the presence of God. Um, when I was in college, I uh, I was actually in Psych 101 with a, my friend Forrest. And we were talking about mental health. And we were studying all those like schizophrenia and, you know, um, so, uh, personality disorders. And he said, we we're at the Baptist Student Union at the time. And he said, you know, Mark, these are the kind of people Jesus would have hung out with. And 
a lot of them at the time were in institutions. It's like, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we should find a way to be friends with people in these circumstances. And um, he said said to me, let's figure out if we can do this. And so he made some calls. And the next week we were over at the um, Alabama State Mental Hospital in the adolescent unit, trying to learn to be friends to kids who experienced incredible trauma and um, struggle with mental health issues. And I is like that opportunity to love just awakens so much inside of me. And I maybe what I'm trying to point to here is it's it's in I think a lot of people try and juice themselves up to believe something, but actually just trying to walk out the way of Jesus will help you confirm this is for real. You you can only know what the kingdom reality is by trying it out, not by trying to figure it out just in your head. It's it if if the kingdom of God is real, you it has to be tested out. You have to do you have to do something with it. Yeah, I think a lot of times it's it can be very easy to almost in a way you so you accept believe and you kind of in a sense can, you're waiting for that moment for it to click in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some people have that that moment. I'm not negating that. But I think what is helpful in this conversation is kind of understanding that maybe sometimes it's just looking for the thing to do, looking for the like the way, like what you just talked about, finding um, people that Jesus would have would have been around and, and just doing that. Uh, and so it's a, I think that's very compelling. I think it's um, important because, you know, I think in this past year, for sure, um, with the election and with everything that's that's happened, um, I think in some ways we haven't done a good job. I think the church as a whole, maybe or Christianity in America as a whole, hasn't done a good job of reflecting. This is the way of Jesus. We've reflected beliefs and systems, but not the practical living out of Jesus. And I think that's, that's uh, very challenging. What, what so far, what, what you've kind of presented us with. Um, So how would you, this is kind of a broad question. Um, how would you define spiritual formation? If you could kind of just your own working definition. So I would say um, spiritual formation is the process of uh, gradually returning to reality <laughs> or learning, learning to live in the world as it is a world where, where, God in, in God we live and move and have our being, and what that sort of pursue, uh, presumes is that we are we come into life with I think a distorted view of who we are, who God is, and how life works, and so Jesus is the one who sh- who makes the way for us, but also shows us the way. Like my life would be way better off if I saw saw life as Jesus sees it and and that would allow me to respond to life as Jesus responded to it so i like to say jesus had full contact with real with 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 reality i tend to have a distorted perception of reality um and i act out of that i feel anxious i feel worried i feel jealous i feel lustful and it's based on false notions, things that don't really work. Um, come, and 
So spiritual formation is gradually learning to live in the, live in the truth. Mm-hmm. It involves the whole person. And so um, that, that's why it's important that it's holistic because we're not just brains, right? We're not just eyeballs. And so it's learn. another angle on this is that spiritual formation is the systematic surrender of the mind and body back to the rule of reign and reign of the creator. Mm, that's beautiful. Um, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, in view of God's mercy, brothers and sisters, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your act of worship. So I, I came up thinking worship is when we're in a, in a room and I'm singing songs and my hands are held up. But according to the Apostle Paul, worship is the systematic surrender of the body and mind back to the rule of its creator. How can I, how can I learn to use my body and my mind in a, in, in a way that ma- manifests love, that, that agrees with God's desires for all of creation. Yeah. And I think that that right there is, uh, is what's so important about like having, you know, the practical things like, you know, how we treat and how we love people, but also what you've mentioned about like um, silence and solitude. And, and what that does is these, these spiritual practices or these disciplines are, are an opportunity to bring us back to the reality of who we are and how do we return to you know, what has God really called us as human beings to? Uh, and I think that I think that that is something that I think if the church uh, as a whole, and this is not to, to bash the church or whatever, I think that, um, but there's got to be some things I think change. And I think that um, if we do that, that I think some of these things I think will need to be at the forefront of that. And so to kind of piggyback off that comment. So what do you, what have you kind of seen, um, maybe not presented well about spiritual formation or practicing the way of Jesus, maybe yeah. growing up in church or, or what you see in church. And what I find interesting is, um, so I spent a summer in New York City working with a, a church plant there. Uh, and then at the beginning of March, I was in Chicago. And something that um, the pastors that I talked to at both those places, they're, they're in places that are very different than Georgia, is the way that church is here is not going to work in these cities. And what we see is those cities are what the future of America is probably going to look like. And so I just kind of wanted to hear, I guess, your thoughts on, you know, how maybe we miss the mark on, on spiritual formation and, and the practice. Yeah. Well, I think um, maybe this is changing, but for most of my life, most Christians in America have felt hesitant about spiritual formation practices because mm-hmm. they don't want to earn, they don't want to get into earning merit with God. And um, uh, I don't, I see it a bit differently than that, that, that the reality of the kingdom of God provides us with an invitation into, into action and practice. So there's, there's something to run towards, like I'm uh, learning, learning to be a human being. And um, I think maybe w- one of the mistakes people make is is to equate spiritual formation with a list of well that means I do Bible study I I may, maybe even practice silence and solitude I try some of the classical spiritual disciplines Ignatian exercises I go to retreats um, I get I really nerd out on my Christianity yeah and um, I think spiritual formation 
is even more basic than that, um, where there are some devotional practices that are helpful, but just, um, you know, learn, learning, learning self-discipline, learning to, um, uh, learn, learning how to be a, be a good friend, a good, a good neighbor. Um, it's, 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 it's how I live in the whole of my life. And every, in a way, everything is spiritual, you know, yeah. because, um, so, so, uh, I think I gradually had to learn. It took me a while to learn this. Like, uh, even when I was in, you know, started off in ministry, I would, um, I was often by the end of the day, kind of anxious and irritated and feeling tempted. Well, I would have a cup of coffee for breakfast and a donut and then skip lunch because I was working so hard and I worked with kids and I would, I would eat 30 pieces of bubble gum for lunch, spit them out in the garbage, hope it would get me to the, you know, to the programs I was running. And then I'd eat cookies and juice. And I wondered why I was so irritable and impatient with my young wife. I hadn't learned to live under God's reign in my body yet, you know, and that part of my spirituality was maybe having a good high protein breakfast. So I wouldn't be cranky later on Yeah. Um, getting enough sleep, uh, not rushing, you know, the, the everyday things of life. So how, how have you seen just maybe over the course of, I guess, so you said you kind of, you went into ministry very early on, like, how have you seen like, you know, this actually transform your being and like, you know, how you operate day to day, like what, like what has been like, I guess the positive impact of yeah, of this, this practicality and, and and such. Yeah, I have a bit of a story about that. Um, when we first moved to San Francisco, we spent a lot of time, a good bit of time, with Dallas Willard, who was a USC prof- professor of philosophy, and also his hobby was theology, and he wrote some really important books on spiritual formation. But um, he often talked about the the reality of God's kingdom. And I would say, Dallas, how would we actually do this? Like, it's you've got some great ideas, but I'm a church planter. How how would we do this? And in, in a deceptively simple way, he said, I think a group of people should get together, look at what Jesus did and taught, and try to do those things. And I thought, duh. You know, when I first read the Gospels when I was 12 years old, that's what I thought made sense. But then my discipleship was taken away from that. Like as a teenager, the people who walked with me were like, Mark, what's most important isn't practicing the teachings of Jesus. It's um, what do you think about predestination and uh, free will versus, you know, versus, uh, you know, sovereignty. And what does that have to do with following Jesus? You know, like, I mean, maybe, maybe those are interesting questions, but as a, as a teenager, that's probably not the first lesson in being a disciple of Jesus. Right. Um, uh, and so, so I realized that for, for my wife, Lisa and I, we'd been on that journey, but it hadn't quite changed how we did leadership yet. I was still preaching and hoping people would like my talks and, uh, sh- shake my hand at when they walked out of the room. And I thought, I've got to find a different way of being with other Christians, just just one-way communication and me sharing my knowledge isn't enough. And so we started getting people together in, uh, I, I called it the Jesus Dojo. I was and, just about to ask um, you about 
Yeah. And I said, um, I, the way it got started is I sent out an email to a group of friends. I said, I know a lot of us are deconstructing our faith. A lot of us are frustrated in our spiritual lives. What if we let Jesus be our rabbi? We'll, we'll just simply look at what he said and do some experiments to try out those things. And I said, I'm proposing that we start with this place where Jesus said, sell your possessions and give to the poor. So a group of us are going to sell or give away half of what we own in the next two months. Do you want to join us? And we'll just see if, you know, what's going to, what, what, we don't know what's going to happen. Let's see. I thought maybe just like three people would want to do it with us. It ended up that 30 people did. And we had to quick organize into three different groups. And each week we would kind of, we made a plan and we go through our apartments or homes and go, we'll look at clothes this week and prayerfully decide uh, what half of our clothes to sell or give away uh, and other things. And what that acting did is it took our conversation to a, when we met together, took it to a much deeper level where we'd say, when you were deciding what to sell or give away this week, what did you notice coming up in your heart? Where did you feel resistance? Um, how did it feel to let go of those things you'd been holding on to? And um, the level of excitement and growth accelerated incredibly in our group. And I'd been in groups before where we do a study of scripture or a book and everyone just sort of regurgitates their thoughts on it and quotes their favorite authors. And then we go home and do the same thing every week. This changed all that where when we got together, everybody had a story to tell about what they experienced trying to put the teachings of Jesus into practice that week. And um, it made us feel closer than we'd ever felt before. Um, a lot of, a lot, I think a lot of, especially people in their twenties and thirties long for deeper community. And I kept trying to form groups that would have deeper community by just spending more time together. Let's, let's go on another trip or let's, let's have a barbecue. But we found out we actually felt closer when we were doing something real and important out of our deeper values together. We also noticed that we, we started to be able to make shifts and changes in our lives that we hadn't been able to make before. I think what often happens in, um, in church life is that you hear a good teaching and it, you're like, and, and the, the preacher maybe even make a really important application to life, but it ends up every week you get another should that's on your shoulders and then you feel like, oh, man, I should do that, and I should do that, and I should do that. Um, uh, and, and, they're, and, they're, and, and they're all good things. But if, our, if all we do when we get together is get more information about what we should think or what we should do, but that we don't have the space to actually work it out together, it just, it's, it's, it's a burden. And so we try to shift our communities to groups where we actually got to do the walk it out together and support each other to do those things. So that's been super exciting. And I know, I know it's radically changed my life and um, so many of the people that I've walked with, it's changed their lives as well. I just finished teaching a, a doctoral course at Fuller Seminary and I invited these um, 15 leaders 
to take on spiritual formation practices with me. And several of them said, you know, I've been in ministry for 30 years. I've led big, big churches and organizations, but I've changed more in the last eight weeks than I had in all those, those years because we're getting down into the practical stuff together. It definitely seems that the, that intentionality, um, it really does make you, again, like what you kind of mentioned about spiritual formation, it draws you back to one, the reality of who you are. And like, so for instance, er- earlier this week, I had um, a guy I know, um, he works with a lot of kids in four income homes and things like that. And there was a family that um, their house caught fire. And, you know, I just had this urge to like, you know what, I want to do something. I want to give some something out of my pocket that I can do to help that. And what I noticed in that was I felt more connected to God through doing that than sometimes how I feel on a Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. And it was and I also noticed this arising in me of like, oh, do I really want to give this like and, and seeing the number come out of my account? And it's it's that intentionality that one, it does draw us back to the reality of who we are. And it makes us recognize, well, maybe maybe this is reflecting the, the greediness that I have, that I need to repent of that. Uh, and that what you kind of mentioned about the project of selling uh, all your possessions. And it, I think that those things are, are so much more practical than just, you know, reading words on a page and praying. And I think those things are important. But I think that there's definitely something to this this intentional living of like these experiments that uh, are in your book that I kind of was introduced to, which is practicing the way of Jesus. Um, check it out. We'll put the link to that uh, through Amazon on on the description. But it's it's been really helpful for me. Um, so where do you think that maybe for someone that's not not a Christian? I read in your book that you had people that weren't necessarily Christian, but they were practicing these things. Where have you seen maybe uh, that take them on a journey of faith, whatever that looks like, uh, and maybe to a listener that might be deconstructing or doubting or not believing in God at all? Where do you think that if maybe they took that first step of looking at the words of Jesus and simply saying, okay, maybe I don't believe in this necessarily, but I want to try it out. What, where do you think that could take them? Yeah, we had a, um, my, my wife had a friend here in San Francisco and, uh, when that friend found out they were, we were Christians, she, this friend had been raised Catholic and she said, um, she said, you know, I understand you're a Christian. I, I think I believe in a God, but um, I'm trying to edit what she actually said. Cause she used some cuss words in there, but she's like, she was like, don't ever, don't ever talk to me about this stuff. You know, Jesus, like she's so uninterested but we started doing these practical Jesus dojo slash learning labs where like, Hey, do you want to learn how to um, have less anxiety in your life? Do you want to learn how to be more generous? Would you like to learn how to have more peace? And she signed up for them Hmm. and went through them with us. And um, she eventually went through all the labs that you read about in practicing the way of Jesus. And she started saying to Lisa, do you think we could pray together? And um, they've become best friends over these years. And I'd, I'd like to think that it was shifting from rather than inviting someone into saying, hey, you have to believe what I believe. Instead going, let's, let's try, try this out and try and discover 
the kind of life that Jesus points us to with his teachings. Um, And I'd often tell, we we worked early on mostly with people deconstructing Mm -hmm. who'd moved from the Bible Belt to San Francisco. And I would say to them, listen, you can take a break from church and theology for a while. And let's just look at, let's just try and try and follow Jesus. And then you tell me what, what you think later on, you know, Um, and it seemed to help a lot of people. And that's awesome. Yeah. Something that I try to, so I do student ministry. And so something I try to like, you know, I live, so I I work in a town that's pretty rural um, and, you know, the traditional Christianity that they've grown up in is this, this belief idea. And what I tell them often is, and I, and I try to be as encouraging as I can with it is if you say that you're a follower of Jesus, I'll ask them like, raise your hand. If you, if you would say you're a follower and everyone in the room, of course, says they're, they're a follower. And what I, I say is, well, how did your last week look like you following Jesus? Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, you can kind of see these blank looks on their face. And I think that that's kind of what is interesting. in this is like trying to like encourage people that, you know, it's more than just belief. Like belief is a part of it. And I, I think that John 15, that, that of course we abide in God, but we also will bear fruit. And that fruit should be seen in the way in which we live, which are these, mm-hmm. these experiments, these projects. And there's this intentionality that, that Jesus is, he was always calling his disciples to go a step further. Uh, and what we see is, you know, these, these experiments and these things that I think I've, I've read through in your book, I think reflect that. And I think it's, it's super helpful. And I think along with that, it's really important to have a clear picture of what is the kind of life that Jesus is inviting us into. Um, I think the Lord's prayer kind of gives us some pictures of that. I've been nerding out on the Beatitudes the last four years and have just finished a book on it called the ninefold path, hidden wisdom of the Beatitudes that um, Jesus was painting a picture for us of what the kind of life that's possible um, a life that goes from anxiety to trust a life where instead of running from what's hard, we, we face, we're able to face what's hard, a life where we go from competition and comparison to affirming inherent dignity and worth and learning to serve one another, a life where we go from feeling apathetic to um, joining in God's heart for justice and restoration, uh, a life where instead of being contemptuous and resentful and judgmental, we, we forgive and learn to live, with, live and talk with compassion. Um, a life where uh, we're authentic instead of faking it and putting that sugary smile on and saying everything's fine. Uh, and, and we learn to be more authentically honest and wholehearted. Uh, a life where instead of focusing on divides, different political parties or us versus them, we learn to be peacemakers, uh, a life where we, when we go through hard things, we find God's strength. And instead of retaliating, we turn the other cheek, you know, like I'm just sort of trying to summarize here for you. Some of the themes in the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, like it's a really different kind of and beautiful kind of life that Jesus said is entirely possible for us. Yeah. And what I, what I hope that this communicates is that, you know, we desire and see people to live this out because not because we want you to believe in our system, but we truly believe it's the best way to be human. 
And that's kind of like where I'm at with it is um, I may not have all the knowledge, the understanding. Um, There'll be things that I continue to question, but at least like if I really do this and I really follow in this way, I can hope to have this, this good way of living uh, as being human, uh, you know, getting back to the reality of who I am. And um, I think that especially like after this year, like I think people are going to be looking for like, well, what does living even mean anymore? What is it? Because I think people have been brought to the reality that, you know, this life can be shortened very easily and our worlds can be kind of changed very quickly. Um, So I wanted to ask kind of some of your thoughts on kind of the church moving forward. Um, So what do you see kind of like will be critical um, for the church kind of continuing um, to have a continuing impact post 2020 uh, mm-hmm. and kind of in the midst of what I see as like skepticism towards evangelicalism as a whole. Uh, I think this year, especially with the election, had a big impact on that, um, regardless of what you know side anyone leans on. I think that that's, that's very clear, at least I would think. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think I think COVID has been a gift to the church um, in the sense, that, and, and to us as people, in the sense that it's slowed us down and it's uh, caused us to have to face some things about ourselves we, that we can't run from anymore. For those who have roommates or spouses, it's brought up the kind of the um, need for greater health and patience and love between people. Um, you know, I think, I think a lot of us are finding that we're feeling anxious. We're, escaping into screens or food or other things a lot to deal with this. And that really this, this time is giving us the opportunity to say, what, what's a way of life that's really going to work for me? I think a lot of churches are in crisis because they've built their way of being around a show, you know, great music and a good talk. And, the show doesn't, it's not so great anymore. It's not that fun to watch on YouTube or Facebook or, or whatever. And, but the groups that are thriving right now are groups that are not show-based churches. They're groups that are real communities of apprenticeship to Jesus. Mm-hmm. So you can be on a Zoom call with 30 people, be honest about how things are going, take on, take on practices together. And I've, I'm grateful that I've been able to be a part of a few groups like like that as well. I think another opportunity that we see is, um, I know my family and I've definitely felt invited into this this year with the racial struggles we see right now. Uh, I think we're being really confronted. We thought, we thought it was over with MLK in the 60s, that things got really better. But I think what, what's being exposed now is we've got a long way to go of deep discipleship to learn how to get over the, these culturally inherited tendencies to think there's some people who are better than other people. Um, and so I, I know, I think one big opportunity for the church is to figure out what does it mean to be the church, uh, not in a way that's segregated anymore. Um, during COVID, my, my wife and I have taken the opportunity to join a, um, a black led church. And I always would have said, I value uh, reconciliation and things like that, but I never gave up my power. 
I always, I was, I'm always in charge, right? And so for maybe one of the first times in my life, I said, even though I'm an, I'm an internationally known author, speaker, I've started churches, I'm going to submit myself to black leadership and let, let my friend Kirk Davis be my pastor right now, you know, <laughs> and be a, be a part of that community, not because I'm speaking, right? But because I'm simply part of a community. And it's been one of the richest faith community experiences that we've ever had. That's awesome. That's really awesome. Yeah, I think that for sure the, the, the need for intentionality and the need for community will be continue to be highlighted post 2020 into 2021. Uh, and I think that, you know, everything that we've kind of talked about, I think is, is going to be things that are going to be valuable. And uh, it's, it's something that gets me kind of fired up because I see, I see the skepticism of people and I see the like kind of hesitation towards the church. But then I also see that there are groups that it's working like that. There's these communities uh, and that gives me hope that like we can continue to do what Jesus has called us to do um, yeah. and be the church. And so, um, yeah, I think it's, it's going to be good as long as we kind of continue to push towards that intentionality. Um, so some final thoughts. So other than your books, of course, and the stuff that you guys have going on, um, maybe what are some resources that our listeners could maybe uh, look towards that could be maybe helpful in their following of Jesus um, maybe some authors who have influenced you uh, in your thinking and just maybe some some people they can go look at and kind of maybe hopefully gain some type of um, benefit from. Yeah. I'm really excited about this new book I have coming out called um, The Ninefold Path, Hidden Wisdom of the Beatitudes. It's designed for a group of people to go through and take on practices with each chapter. And um, I've been, it's a method I've been using for about four years now. And I, we've really seen a lot of people experience incredible healing and growth by do, t- doing that. I think we're, we're a bit addicted to ideas, but if I'm honest, ideas aren't what changed my life by themselves. I need to act on, act on them. So so I think just somehow get, it's maybe less about a particular author, but more about um, get with a group of friends and say, what are, let's try some practices together. You know, most, I think most of us have some longings for the way we want to live and the way we want to live out our faith that, that we haven't quite acted on. And if we can support each other to take additional steps, that's going to help us get through COVID and it's going to help us experience a more authentic faith as well. So if you could leave us with a final thought of just encouragement for navigating uh, doubts, deconstructing, uh, and practicing the way of Jesus, what would it be? Yeah, I would say um, uh, it's interesting that you've kept bringing up the deconstruction and the doubts because so many of my friends and I went through that when we were your age. Yeah, And so I guess I'd say it's normal. You're not crazy. And um, we, it's a necessary part of adult spiritual development. Um, try not to get stuck um, being pissed off at the church or your parents or your, um, your, your religious background. Lee, um, and if you need to, this, this is why I often tell people, um, 
turn the volume down on those sources. If you're tired of that, like hearing those voices from Christian radio or authors or whatever, don't, don't pay attention to that stuff for a while, right? Focus on the red letters of Jesus and try and work some of that stuff out. Um, it's good not to do alone. Many other people have been through this season. It's helpful to have somebody that you can say, here's where I'm struggling. Here's what I'm questioning. Here's where I feel angry or disappointment or hurt by uh, ways of thinking about God from my past. But don't get stuck there either. There's something beyond this point where you may find, uh, discover a faith that's more wide open, that's deeper, that's more soulful. So keep going. Awesome. Mark, thank you so much. This this conversation has been super helpful for me, and I know it will be our, for our listeners. So thanks again for coming on, Rethinking Christianity. Um, it's been a blessing just to get to talk to you and, and kind of hear some of your thoughts. Yeah, great to be with you, Blake. I'm, I'm really Im- impressed by the kind of questions you're asking and the passions you have. Hey guys, thanks again for tuning in to Rethinking Christianity. I hope this interview with Mark has been super helpful. Um, Some of the resources that he has put out, you can find on his website through Googling Mark Scandrett, or you can go on Amazon and type in Mark Scandrett and his books will come up. Uh, The book that kind of introduced me to Mark was Practicing the Way of Jesus, Life Together in the Kingdom of Love. And I'm going to post the link uh, in the description of this podcast to that book. It was super helpful for me and uh, I continue to reference back to it um, and some of my thinking and my thoughts about what it means to follow Jesus as a way of life. So I hope this interview has been really helpful to you. If you could do me a huge favor by rating the podcast, sharing it with friends, subscribing on either Apple or Spotify or whatever listening platform that you use, that would be super great. And again, thank you so much for tuning in to Rethinking Christianity.